So I'm going to let you in on a uh, little phobia of mine, pathology maybe. Um, I don't like to take walks at nighttime. It's not really a matter of the darkness itself. I'm not afraid of the dark. In fact, I enjoy walks in the morning, even if it's completely dark. It's a matter of what the darkness at night portends. When I go for a walk at night, especially in the dark, I have this uneasy awareness that there are more hours of darkness coming. Hours and hours of darkness. When I go for a walk in the morning, even if it's completely dark, I'm fine. I, in fact, have you know, that anticipation of, of activity coming, that there will be hours and hours of daylight and there will be people out soon and walking about in life and activity. It's all about knowing whether day is coming soon or not. In this morning's passage from the Gospel according to Luke, our speaker, Zechariah, has been living through a long night. He's been a priest in the temple in Jerusalem for many years, and his people, the nation of Israel, have lived for centuries under the oppressive rule of a foreign power, a a succession of foreign powers. And perhaps worst of all for him as a priest, there hadn't been a prophet who had spoken for God, at least as the community understood it. There hadn't been a prophet that had spoken for God in roughly 400 years. John Calvin, the 16th century reformer, sums up the situation for God's people. The face of God had been turned away from the children of Abraham for such a long time. To such a depth of calamity had they sunk, and with such a mess of distresses were they overwhelmed that no one entertained the thought that the eye of God was upon them. It had been a long, dark night already, and no one had known how much longer it would be until daybreak. But these words recorded by Luke reveal that Zechariah believed something had changed. Zechariah and his wife's cousin Mary had both been visited by angels. The angel Gabriel had told them both that change had come. But what Zechariah didn't realize was that the change would impact the entire world, not just the nation of Israel. As disciples of Christ, we believe that the birth of Jesus, which Gabriel prophesied, marked a cosmic shift from the deep darkness of night into the brilliant light of the day of the Lord. At this point in Luke's telling of the story, several significant events have already occurred. First, the messenger from God appeared to Zechariah when Zechariah was actually in the temple working as a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. The angel Gabriel appeared to him there and announced to him, to Zechariah, that his wife Elizabeth would be pregnant and give birth to a boy. The boy would be, as Gabriel said, a prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord, the God's anointed one. 
This was a tremendously dramatic announcement for a couple of reasons. Not only because it signified that God had not abandoned Israel, was again speaking and present, but also because Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were old, really old, and they had given up on the idea that they would ever have children. The second thing that had happened was that the same angel, Gabriel, had appeared to Elizabeth's cousin Mary and made the even more dramatic announcement that Mary would give birth to the Lord, to the Son of God, to God's anointed one, Jesus. The third thing that had happened was that Mary, when Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth to see if what the the angel had told her was true, that Elizabeth was already pregnant several months, when Mary went to to see if this had happened, when she walked into the, the house and said, hello, the way that Luke records it, the baby in that Elizabeth was carrying leapt in her womb. There was something about this greeting that stirred the baby within. And then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied to Mary, repeated basically what the angel Gabriel had told her and confirmed for Mary that she would give birth to God's anointed one, the Messiah, the one that Israel had been waiting for for centuries. And finally, the last, that, the last event that informed Zechariah's words that we have um, was the fact that his son was born healthy, and they gave him the name John. All of these events added up for Zechariah, and he burst out in the song that Luke recorded for us. For Zechariah, these, all these events together combined to help him know that the long night that they had been living through was ending. In verse 68, he begins his song. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. So not only is God speaking to Israel again, but God has literally, the verb is visited. He has shown up. God has visited the people. God has fulfilled the promise that had been made long, long ago. Verses 69 and 70. He has, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. This is the prophecy that Isaiah had been given a glimpse of in that Hebrew Old Testament passage that we read. That the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that is because a child has been born to us, a son has been given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom forever and ever. Again, this is the, the, the horn of salvation from the house of David is what Zechariah sees in the coming birth of Mary's child. 
Zechariah realizes that his own son will be a part of the change that is coming. In verses 76 and 77, we read, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And he did that. His son John did that. He was John the Baptist. And his son prepared the way for the Lord by baptizing people in the forgiveness of their sins. And all of this comes about because of how Zechariah says it, the tender mercy of God in verse 78. Tender is too weak, though. Because Luke actually uses my favorite Greek word to describe God's mercy. God's mercy is mercy that comes from God's splagma. It's, it's that guttural because it means literally bowels or guts. That, it, that this gut-wrenching compassion of God's spills out in saving his people. God can't look on the situation of the world and not be moved deeply within. God's gut-wrenching compassion causes salvation to come for us. Zechariah is moved to express all that he foresees with this beautiful imagery about the birth of Jesus, that it will be like the rising sun, he says, coming to us from heaven in order to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace, into essentially the fullness of life. This is what Paul echoed in his letter to the Corinthians when he wrote, we don't preach ourselves, we preach Jesus Christ. For God, the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness at the beginning of creation, made his light shine in our hearts and to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, in the birth of this human and divine being, Jesus. The birth of Jesus marked a turning in the world from the deep darkness of night into the brilliant light of day. And this is, of course, what Christmas celebrates. The birth of the baby Jesus, who is our Savior. The light of God coming into the darkness of our world. For those of us living here in the northern hemisphere uh, of Earth, we have the added symbolism of the celebration coinciding with the winter solstice. For months now, for half the year, darkness has been closing in on both sides of daylight. Trees are barren, the fields are empty, animals and people in their own ways are hibernating. And just when it seems as if we might lose any hours of daylight whatsoever, the world shifts. And just as the winter solstice marks a change in the balance of light and dark, the birth of Jesus marks the dawning of light in the world.
at the same time, for the sake of many in our world, I think it's important for us to remember that the light has dawned, but it is not yet fully day. As I studied this passage this week, I was particularly struck by the description of those among us who sit in the shadow of death. That image brought to mind a passage in Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption. We read this earlier for our Queen Anne book group. But Brian Stevenson uh, is a lawyer who tries to keep those who have been sentenced to death as prisoners from actually being executed. And at one point in this book, he describes what conditions are like for those who live on death row. He writes, Condemned prisoners, this is particularly in Alabama where he works, condemned prisoners on Alabama's death row unit are housed in windowless concrete buildings that are notoriously hot and uncomfortable. Each death row inmate was placed in a five-by-eight-foot cell with a metal door, a commode, and a steel bunk. The temperatures in August consistently reached over 100 degrees for days and sometimes weeks at a time. Incarcerated men would trap rats, poisonous spiders, and snakes they found inside the prison to pass the time and to keep safe. Isolated and remote, most prisoners got few visits and even fewer privileges. Existence at Holman, which is the name of the prison, centered on Alabama's electric chair. The large wooden chair was built in the 1930s and inmates had painted it yellow before attaching its leather straps and electrodes. They called it Yellow Mama. He goes on a paragraph later to describe in very horrific detail what happens at an execution by electrocution. At one point, he describes how men on death row in these other cells can actually smell what's happening. These are men who literally live in the shadow of death. And there are others among us who live in the shadow of death in other ways. Some of us have received a terminal diagnosis. Some of us are grieving the loss of a loved one. Some of us dwell in the aftermath of a relationship that has died or a career. Some of us lie immersed in anxiety or depression. For many of us, it is still very dark. But that reality cannot overwhelm the truth that light has dawned on the horizon. The day of the Lord has begun, and it will continue until all of creation dwells in the fullness of God's glory. The birth of the Jesus, the birth of the Jesus, the birth of Jesus marks a turning in the world from deep darkness to brilliant light. Thanks be to God.